Good morning, everyone. My name is Nora, and I am a member here at Redemption Church. Um, this morning's reading will be from Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. Brothers, amen. This is God's word for us today. Well, again, good morning. And if you would, please do join me in prayer as we get ready to look to God's word together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have spoken, uh, not just in general, not even just in, in all of the Bible, but even in the ways you've spoken to us here in this letter written by Paul. We thank you for all the work you've done in our lives, the spiritual fruit that's come as a result of this book. Uh, I just am so encouraged uh, to hear of all the ways that um, people have even expressed of seeing Christ at work in others in our church. And even that language of Christ living and working through us, I just see being so deeply rooted in Paul's theology in Galatians. God, ultimately we pray that we would get a great and heavenly vision of your crucified son today, that we would see Jesus with the eyes of Paul and that by, by helping us to see him in this way, God, that you would make him our greatest boast. Would we long for him? Would we delight in him? And as we do, God, as we cling to him in faith, as we trust in him for forgiveness, God, we pray that you would increasingly uh, make our lives to look more like him. And we pray that you would do that even now today as we conclude this letter. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, we typically think of boasting as a bad thing that has something to do with, with our own self-centeredness. But ultimately, the definition of, of boasting basically is to express an excessive amount of pride or satisfaction. And so the truth is we can boast about ourselves. We often do, especially when our boasting is of pride. But we can also boast in other things in a different way, and it's still boasting all the same. Basically, boasting is just getting excited about something, really excited about something and the good that it brings to your life without much regard or concern for how that excitement might impact other people. It might kind of be off-putting to those other people in a certain way. And when you say it that way, I have to tell you, I do that all the time. <laughs> I love to get excited about things. It's just kind of part of my personality. I've learned, and I learned this actually in high school when I went to see the movie Hancock with a group of friends, uh, and if you don't know what the movie Hancock is, it's probably because it's really not particularly a great movie. Um, 
It, it's not. Uh, Will Smith plays an alcoholic superhero in this movie. So if you can imagine, it like didn't go on to be a classic or anything like this, right? Um, but I remember leaving the movie theater, and I was just boasting about this. I just loved it. I just thought it was great. That was part was so hilarious, and then this action scene was so great. I just, I walked out, and I was boasting, but I realized at that point in high school, apparently, it like wasn't cool or whatever, you know, to be excited about anything. And so my friends kind of looked at me like, yeah, Danny, I mean, we saw the movie, okay, you know, like, it was fine, whatever, you know. And I was like, yeah, totally cool. I mean, whatever, you know, like it was pretty dumb even, you know. But no, but you get the point. Like I, I, I would, I'd love to get excited and to share that excitement, even though it was a little kind of strange or off-putting to my friends. Now, I'm convinced that we were made to boast in something. We were made to do this. Uh, picture Adam when he first sees Eve after naming all the other creatures in the world, and you can almost kind of picture him sort of puffing out his chest a little bit and saying, right, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, right? If someone else was there, they easily could have said, Adam, just relax, right? She's a woman, you know, like, he would have been like, I don't get, are you kidding me? This is incredible, right? He couldn't help himself, and, and this is how we are all wired, I'm convinced. Even the most dry, emotionless people you know, right? You get them talking about something. You get them talking about, like, Star Trek or something like this. Uh, math, maybe, right? They'll be boasting about something. We love to do this. But what we boast in and why we boast in it makes all the difference. In this letter, we've, we've talked over and over again about, about the issue that Paul has written the Galatians to address. It's going to help us to, to be refreshed of that today. Uh, there was a group of Christian missionaries with a Jewish background who had convinced these churches in Galatia, who were made up of non-Jews, Gentile Christians, that they had to be circumcised and they had to obey the Old Testament law. The idea for these missionaries was that as Gentiles... Their faith in Christ was not enough to get them into God's family, uh, which they assumed, of course, was the Old Testament nation of Israel. That's always been God's covenant family. And Paul has been showing us over and over again in many different ways throughout this letter, no, God is not just creating an earthly family or nation. He's actually creating this new spiritual family made up of people from all nations, and we don't get into this family by doing religious rituals in our flesh, like circumcision. Uh, we don't get into this family even by meticulously obeying and observing the Old Testament law. No, we get into this family. We become sons of God, in a sense, by faith in his true and his ultimate son, Jesus Christ, his, his crucified son. So Paul starts here in, in our conclusion with, his typical intensity, he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So this is, this is intensely personal for Paul. He's not using this through, uh, he's not dictating his letter through a scribe, which was probably common. He was writing this with his own hand, and he was writing it in what would now be big, bold font. 
This really mattered. He wants them to to perk up here as he concludes this letter. He wants them to listen very intently to what he's just said and what he's about to say. And then he jumps right in to the heart of the issue that he's been tracing through the whole letter. He speaks very pointedly about why these missionaries were forcing Gentiles to be circumcised. And here's what he says about that. This is huge to understanding the letter of Galatians. In verse 12, Paul says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so here we see there are at least two motivations at play here. First, there's a positive motivation. They wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. They wanted to be important. They wanted to be the big deal in God's family. And a negative motivation was that they wanted to avoid, therefore, being persecuted. Uh, being uh, rejected and uh, ridiculed, particularly by their fellow Jews who were really committed to the earthly nation of Israel. So the idea was that if they did force these Gentile Christians to be circumcised, well, then they did make a good showing in the flesh. They looked important. If you can imagine, and Paul even says here, they wanted to boast in the flesh of these Gentiles. They wanted to count them all up and basically say, well, look at all these Gentiles who had to become like me in order to get into God's family. And if they didn't have these Gentile Christians circumcised, again, they may have opened themselves up even to persecution from their fellow Jews. If you can imagine, the church is just being born at this point. And the church in so many ways is sort of born out of the nation of Israel. Christ comes to the Jews, and and, and this whole negotiation is happening in Paul's life. And what is this church, and what is the relationship to the nation of Israel? And I want you to notice all these issues that Paul has written about in these churches in Galatia, ultimately all of them can be traced back to boasting. These missionaries were wanting to express an excessive amount of pride and satisfaction in their nation and in their religiosity. And so in our passage today, Paul is going to compare and contrast two different kinds of boasting. Here, he is discouraging the kind of boasting that these missionaries were doing. We're going to call that corrupt boasting. And he is commending a different kind of boasting, the boasting that he did. Namely, we're going to call that cross boasting. And so uh, the claim of our passage today, it's actually very simple, but it's incredibly profound and, and many implications to it. Paul is pleading with us, and I think God would have us here today, let's boast in God's crucified Son and nothing else. This is the claim we're going to explore in our text today. This is what I think God wants to send us out into the world with today. This idea, let's boast in God's crucified Son and nothing else. Let's turn to our passage here now. We're going to take a deeper look at these two different kinds of boastings. Uh, We've already seen corrupt boasting. It's very self-absorbed. It's It's very self-promoting, but notice also it is very worldly and very unspiritual. Uh, This kind of boasting focuses, for instance, on the flesh, the physical bodily lives that we live, as opposed to what Paul has been commending throughout the letter, the spirit. It focuses on the flesh. It's concerned, therefore, about rituals. It's concerned about 
obedience that we keep with our bodies, performance in a spiritual way. It's not particularly concerned with this heavenly message of the gospel, a crucified God-man who's given us grace, unmerited favor. He's forgiven us, set us free from the law. It is not particularly concerned with faith and trusting in him and relying on him, the inner spiritual realities of the Christian life. No, this kind of boasting is deeply concerned with our spiritual status instead in this world. Circumcision, you've seen throughout this letter, has been central to the problem because circumcision represents so much. Really the question here that looms and loomed in the early church is, do Gentiles need to be circumcised. Is that how this story of God's family is going to unfold? And we often, in looking at Galatians, will emphasize, well, the answer is no. Uh, we, it, it, we can't require circumcision because we can't add anything to faith in Jesus. If we add to faith in Jesus, well, then we're depending on ourselves, and, and that throws the whole equation off. And this is true. Paul has said in, in Galatians 2 that we are justified by faith, And he's made it very clear throughout the whole letter, we are justified by faith alone. It's important to understand that to make sense of our passage today. But there is another layer to this whole issue of circumcision. These Jewish missionaries wanted Gentiles to be circumcised because of what that would say about them so that they could boast in the circumcised flesh of these Gentiles. In other words, there's a kind of ethnic and national pride at stake for these missionaries. To them, this whole equation was about everyone else in the world becoming like their group, the earthly nation of Israel, rather than Christ redeeming and gathering all nations into a whole new kind of heavenly group, a heavenly family that God's creating. So their motives, in other words, were also about power and status and superiority just as much as they were about legalism and earning a kind of status with God. This is why they really had to keep up the appearance of keeping the Old Testament law themselves. Their whole motivation hinged on it, even though, as Paul said, that even those who've been circumcised do not themselves keep the law. So, so, so their boasting was hypocritical, in a way. Their boasting was even insincere. They were insisting that Gentiles keep the law in a way that not even they could keep the law. You'll also notice, as we've seen throughout this letter, that this kind of boasting ruins church fellowship. It ruins it. Uh, Those who boast in anything other than the cross of Christ are constantly causing trouble for the church, which is why Paul says here he prays for peace and mercy to be upon the the true Israel, the Israel of God. He's talking about those who are truly in Christ in these churches. It's also why he says here toward the end, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. That has to stop, he's saying. See, for Paul, all of these relational strifes were symptomatic of a boasting problem. All of this strife could be traced back to this. These troublemaking missionaries wanted to boast about themselves. They wanted to be the point. They wanted to be the crown jewel of God's covenant people. They wanted the kind of status and respect in the church that they felt Gentiles were undeserving of. And so the missionaries' boasting, I want you to notice, it's self-serving, it's unspiritual, focuses on the flesh rather than the spirit, and it is incredibly destructive to the life of this 
new heavenly family, the church. Paul, on the other hand, commends a very different kind of boasting. Look with me at verse 14. Paul says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. I'm going to make a few observations. Uh, The first one that I think is probably one of the most important observations to make is just how strange this kind of boasting is. We are talking about boasting in the brutal execution of our king. Imagine someone saying, oh, you have a king? Good, um, that's cute. I'm happy for you. But my king was crucified and executed by the Roman Empire. Right? It's a strange boast uh, to make. Unless we see and understand the heavenly significance of what took place on the cross, unless we see the otherworldly cosmic significance of the cross, anyone in their right mind would think you are a fool for boasting in this kind of message. As Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, he says, it is the power of God. Now, the, the power of your God Now, that is something seemingly worth boasting in. But again, the point is not everyone in this present evil age will see our boasting in the cross in that way. In fact, if we boast in the cross of Christ, some people may even in this world persecute us. Notice for Paul, that doesn't seem to matter because as he says, he has been crucified to this world as this world has been crucified to him. In other words, he didn't, Sorry, he knew he didn't matter to this world. Uh, He wasn't trying to make a good showing in the flesh. For Paul, it was as if his life in the flesh, in this world, was already over. It ended the day Christ himself was nailed to a cross. Chances are, this is why, unlike these missionaries he's critiquing, Paul was willing to endure suffering and persecution for the cross of Christ because he had a complete disregard for his fleshly life in this world. While these missionaries were avoiding persecution at all costs, trying to make a good showing in the flesh, Paul here is actually referring to the marks that he bears on his body, the marks that he bears which belong to Christ, which almost certainly refer to scars that he would have received from his brutal beatings and floggings as a result of being persecuted for Christ. So Paul was not concerned, we can see, about his status in this world. His concern was heavenly. His concern was spiritual. His concern was was otherworldly. Which is why the next thing uh, he emphasizes here is is that this kind of cross-boasting, it's not just earthly. It's not just physical. Again, it's, it's heavenly and it's spiritual. He says this, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, these physical rituals we do in the present evil age, in our flesh, which is marked by the the elementary principles of this physical world, that stuff we do in this world, those things are not the things that ultimately matter. They may help you make a good showing in the flesh, he's saying, but in and of themselves they are of no eternal heavenly value. But, he says, here's what is of eternal heavenly value, a new creation. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As Greg mentioned before, this is about being born again of the Spirit. This is about individual people trusting in Christ and being, becoming new, being born again. Uh, what he's saying is that these religious rituals, apart from that kind of saving faith, are not going to do it. They don't actually count for anything. God justifies every sinner, not by the law, not by these rituals, but by faith in the promise of the cross of Christ. That is first and foremost what Paul means here by new creation. We also have to remember he is talking to churches together. I think there is meant to be a corporate understanding of this new creation as well. He's talking about this new heavenly family that God's been creating in Christ, of all those who trust in him, all those who boast in Christ. So we are individually new creations if we're born again by faith, and we together are a new creation in that we are adopted into Christ. We are made one in him. We are included in his uh, son status. We are his body. We are his new creation. As Paul says in Ephesians, it is uh, as if we together are one new man in Christ. So you see, while the missionary's boasting, it was, it was earthly, it was unspiritual, Paul's boasting is incredibly heavenly. It's, it's otherworldly. Which may be why next, uh, he focuses on the corporate unity here of this entire new heavenly family he's been teaching us about. He says in verse 16, as for all, and as for all who walk by this rule, that is, the rule of the new creation, which comes by our boasting in the cross, all who walk by that rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, in light of what we've seen about this heavenly family throughout the letter, our, 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 we should really, our, our brains should kind of have a light switch going off here when he says Israel of God. That is, he is saying the true heavenly Israel, not just the earthly nation with its capital city in Jerusalem, not just the people who are circumcised and live under the law. There, there is an earthly kind of Israel, he's saying. I'm not talking about that one. He's talking about the Israel who he said back in chapter 4 has the Jerusalem above as its mother. The Israel made up of all true sons of the Spirit, not just of the flesh, regardless of their ethnicity and their nation. The Israel that God has always been creating since the very beginning by faith and faith alone since the days of Abraham. Paul here is praying for peace and unity within and amongst the church of Jesus Christ. Within this heavenly household that only God can create. To that end, he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. And here's why they shouldn't cause him trouble. Pay careful attention here. He says, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Now that phrase right there, uh, th this is another phrase we could easily justify spending 30 to 45 minutes talking about just this phrase. To cut right to the chase, I think there are two obvious questions we have to get to the bottom of to make sense of what he's saying here. The first question is, what kind of marks on his body is Paul actually referring to? That obviously matters. And whatever those marks are, why should these marks stop the Galatians from causing Paul trouble? Okay, that's what I think we need to make sense of here. First, what kind of marks is he talking about? This is widely debated. The word he uses for marks is actually stigmata. 
And so there's all kinds of sort of mystic ways that people have assumed this means like actual crucifixion marks showing up on people's hands. That's not where I'm going here today. Um, Chances are, I think, uh, Paul is referring to, again, these physical scars that he actually had on his body as a result of persecutions and floggings. It seems to make the most sense based on the context of the letter because he just called out these missionaries for avoiding persecution at all costs. So in this sense, Paul's basically saying, listen, stop causing me trouble. I have the scars to prove my devotion to Christ. I don't know about these missionaries you're dealing with, but I have the scars to prove it. More importantly, again, the word for stigmata here actually refers to uh, branding marks that were often put on slaves as sort of a family insignia to, to, to show the world who they actually belonged to. So there could be a sense in which Paul sees these scars as that kind of a mark. And, and in that sense, he's also basically saying, listen, stop causing me trouble. I'm a servant. I'm a slave of the same Messiah that you claim to worship. But listen, I don't want us to miss the clear otherworldly significance of this either. I want you to notice it is not just that Paul has these marks on his body kind of like Jesus. No, It is not just that these marks basically say something about Jesus. No, it's more than that. The marks that Paul has on his physical body actually belong, in his words, to Jesus. He says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. This is very reminiscent to what Paul said. If you'll remember back in our series through Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says, now this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body that is the church. So the idea here is that Christ has more suffering even yet to do in order to fully accomplish the redemptive purposes of God. But rather than doing this suffering in his own flesh here on the earth, Christ now is ascended to heaven and he is suffering through his spiritual body that is the church. Think of when Paul, Saul, first killed, had these Christians killed. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus after having these Christians killed, and he says, why are you persecuting me? He was actually persecuting Christians, the church, but in doing so, he was persecuting Christ. So in this sense, Paul could be saying here, listen, don't cause me trouble, because when you persecute me, you're persecuting the Christ you claim to worship. And in a way, you should be kind of persecuting yourselves in a strange way, because if we're all made one in him, right, he's basically saying, same team, same team. So however many layers they may be to this turn of phrase, and really there are many layers to it, one thing is clear, as a member of Christ himself, Paul did not avoid persecution. He did not. He suffered as if suffering in Christ But he did feel entitled not to be persecuted by these churches, by these brothers and sisters who also claim to be in Christ. So I want us to see that these two different kinds of boasting have an incredibly different effect in the lives of those who do them, both individually and together as as churches. And so of all the things, church, that we could boast in today, of all of them, uh, whether it's the work that we do, uh, the kind of parents that we are, the sort of accomplishments we have in, in, in life, what, what, all the things we could possibly boast in. I want us to consider how often is it that we truly boast in the cross of Christ? 
that we're just so overcome with joy of what Christ has done to redeem us that we use an excessive amount of excitement even to express what he's done uh, to us and for us. In light of this, I want us to consider as we turn to application, what happens when we boast in the cross of Christ? What effect does it have in our lives? Uh, First, I want us to see that those who boast in the cross of Christ will become self-forgetful. They'll become self-forgetful. Now, in fairness, I'm borrowing that phrase from a book by Tim Keller, uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. I'll be sharing some insights from it. But, but here the point is basically maybe we struggle to break free from the grip of, of self-consciousness. We tend to see everything through the lens of what does this mean for me? What does everyone think of me? Maybe you're overly concerned about your reputation, You struggle to see the value in any relationship if it doesn't boost your status in this world. Maybe you find regularly yourself comparing your spiritual and religious experience to that of others. How do I stack up with them? Why wasn't I asked to do this or that? Why wasn't I included in that conversation? How can I end this conversation or disagreement in such a way that that I make a good showing in the flesh here? The truth is this is the condition of every human heart because what sin does is it has a way of hoisting us onto the throne of of our our lives. Uh, But rather than enjoying it up there on that throne, what it does is this experience actually crushes and cripples us. We feel a crippling pressure to justify all this boasting we want to do in ourselves even though we know full well in our hearts we are not worthy of any of it. And when we think and live in this way, it also has a very interesting effect on our lives. In particular, it makes us incredibly easy to offend, especially when we're criticized or, or when our spiritual status is called into question. This kind of inner turmoil of self-consciousness is, is the source of so many problems in the church. In fact, uh, this kind of... Uh, sin-exposing, gospel, life-sharing fellowship that Paul's recommending, it's virtually impossible when we boast in ourselves in this way. Because uh, to a deeply self-conscious person, this kind of gospel fellowship, it's the ultimate threat to their self-boasting, right? If I let others in and they see my sin tendencies, I won't be able to, to keep up this impressive sort of appearance of my life in the flesh. They might not think as highly of me. They might not even respect me. As you can see, this is kind of the inner thoughts of these missionaries. This is what was at stake. And it turns out the solution to this is to stop trying to boast in ourselves altogether, and it is instead to start boasting in the cross. Church, we need to, to crucify our self-consciousness in a way. Uh, We we need to let Jesus nail it to his cross for us. And when we go from this kind of corrupt boasting to this kind of cross boasting, what will happen is that our self-consciousness turns into self-forgetfulness. As a result, uh, we'll have a very different effect when we're criticized. Actually, as mature Christians that boast in the cross of Christ, we actually become very difficult to offend because we're crucified to this world. And this world's been, excuse me, crucified to us. The gospel frees us from our self-absorption. 
as if our sinful lives in the flesh, they were crucified with Christ. Uh, Keller puts it this way, the hope that we have here in this book. He says, friends, wouldn't you want to be a person who does not need honor nor is afraid of it? Someone who does not lust for recognition nor, on the other hand, is frightened to death of it. Uh, Don't you want to be the kind of person who, when they see themselves in a mirror or reflected in a shop window, does not admire what they see but does not cringe either? You see that? It's not just that we come to hate ourselves as a result of this kind of faith or boasting. It's not just that we learn to love ourselves more and more and more. It's that over time, as we boast in Christ, we begin to lose sight of ourselves altogether as Christ lives through us more and more. Because the truth is, the solution to low self-esteem is not pride. The solution to pride is not self-hatred. The solution to both of those errors is a new kind of boasting altogether. It is boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. So I want you to imagine that another member of the church says something that's deeply hurtful to you and offensive to you. Maybe they criticize you in a way. And then I want you to imagine that your first response is not to stew over that for a few hours or days. Uh, and it's not to pick up a phone, call another member of the church, and sort of process it with them and vent. What if instead our first response and instinct was to think, well, praise God, because he knows far worse things about me than this person does. And he has sent his son to be crucified in my place. How different, how, how beautiful would our lives look if that kind of boasting was our first instinct? when we were criticized. This is the kind of life that we can live by faith in Jesus. When he is our greatest boast, we will become self-forgetful, be crucified to this world. Next, uh, those who boast in the cross of Christ will become otherworldly. I want you to notice, again, Paul's opponents, these missionaries, only concerned about making a good showing in the flesh, particularly within the earthly nation of Israel, and they wanted to avoid any kind of physical persecution at all costs. Paul, on the other hand, was again crucified to this world already, and the world crucified to him. Therefore, he was not concerned about who was circumcised and what their circumcision meant for him and his status within the family of God. No, he cared about who was truly born again. As a new creation, he cared who was a true spiritual son in this heavenly household of God. These missionaries' boasting was earthly, and it was flesh-focused. Paul's boasting was otherworldly, and it was spiritual. And so was he. So was he. In the same way, when we go from boasting in ourselves to boasting in the cross of Christ, We will go from being constantly consumed by worldly things, the things of this world, like things like power, success, status, money, comfort. We will go from boasting and and being obsessed with those things to being, in a way, otherworldly, strange, peculiar in this world, different. We will be consumed instead with the things of God. We will be focused instead on the heavenly reality of the life we live rather than just the earthly appearance of our lives that we live. As a church, I think this also means for us, we cannot just focus and try to grow and be healthy uh, based on focusing on things that unspiritual people respect, Uh, people who have no care in the world about Christ and his cross. We can't just rely, for example, on things like our branding 
or our style, the, the vibe of our church, or, or our really well-run ministries and organizational vitality in these ways. As much, for instance, as, as a building would be helpful to us, and we do pray for one, we can never rely on it to make us, quote, successful as a church. It, it, it's not going to do that. It never will in any real, meaningful, heavenly way, even though, by the way, if we do get a building we put a Redemption Church sign up in front of it. People will say, oh, interesting. What's this Redemption Church, right? There, there's a kind of earthly credibility that comes from owning a building and have a sign in front of it. My point is all of these things are earthly things that can make a church successful, quote unquote, with or without God at all. <laughs> it happens all the time. Uh, not to mention, they can even be cause for great reasons for us to boast all the more in ourselves. Ooh, look how good we are at creating a spiritual family that people love and people respect in this world. But when we go from this kind of corrupt boasting to cross-boasting, what happens is our this-worldliness needs to turn into otherworldliness. Because like Jesus himself, we are pursuing a kingdom and a kind of righteousness, it is just, it's not of this world. It's distinct. It's peculiar. It will stick out almost like a person boasting that his king got executed. It will stick out. But to be clear, uh, this does not mean that we sort of resign ourselves and our earthly lives altogether. Not at all. Uh, Paul clearly cared deeply about the lives of these churches. He cared about their mission to see the gospel go out to all nations. We should care deeply about our earthly lives as well. But it does mean we cannot measure the value of our lives in earthly, flesh-focused ways. We cannot measure the value of our lives in how the world feels about us or how much respect they have for us and our church. If we do, we'll be right on the same path that these Galatians went down. Or we cannot find value in, in how many people think we are spiritually mature and worthy of being admired or how much experience we've accumulated in our spiritual lives and put on our church resumes. No, that kind of boasting, church, will make each of us less like Christ. It will make our church incredibly dysfunctional. We will bite and devour one another. Uh, it will lead us and make us conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Frankly, like the rest of the world, it will, it will, we will be marked by the works of the flesh, as Paul listed. Instead, let's measure, as we boast in Christ, let's measure the value of our lives together by the grace and forgiveness we have in him, by the union that we share, by faith in him, by how much we desperately need him, and the extent to which he, this crucified son of God, is living through us by faith. Uh, and thankfully, we see uh, there is one telltale sign that a person is sort of otherworldly in this way, that they boast in Christ in this way. Those who do, uh, those who have become otherworldly, are willing to suffer and be rejected uh, for the sake of Christ and his cross. They're willing to be. Uh, because they want to be delivered out of this present evil age. They're not just trying to make a good showing in it. Uh, and look successful. And so if we want to know whether or not we're boasting in Christ in this otherworldly kind of way, we should consider, will we keep boasting in him even if the people we love and respect the most reject us for it? Will we cling to our worldly reputation in that case or will we press on with an otherworldly kind of cross-boasting faith? 
students, getting ready to go back to school, if you guys are followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you to keep this in mind as you go back to school this week. As kids come back to school after a long summer off, they try to sort out all their friendships and friend groups, there will be no shortage of opportunities to boast in your flesh. There's a lot of flesh boasting that happens the first week of school. And so I want to encourage you not, not to call that out or to make a deal about that, but just to be perceptive. Ask yourselves, is it my goal to fit in and be respected by all of my classmates here in this world? Or is it my goal to be used by God in heavenly ways? Now, I want to be real with you. Uh, that doesn't always go well <laughs> or, or feel good. It really doesn't, uh, at least not here and now. Uh, but there is an eternal kind of, of reaping we have to look forward to. But we can see here, for Paul, it even led to rejection, and it led to persecution, even from his former friends. But it is good, church. It, it is right. It brings glory to Christ and the Father. And I want to say to students that you're not, you're not alone in this. Uh, we, the grown-ups here in the church, the adults, your parents, we're here to live in this kind of way with you. And so let's live this kind of otherworldly life together as we boast in Christ and nothing else. And finally, number three, those who boast in the cross of Christ will become family-oriented. Now here, of course, I mean by family, the heavenly household that God's creating in Christ, this, this spiritual family that God has been creating, which Paul has been emphasizing so much throughout the letter. The truth is, if we don't boast in Christ and his cross, then we can be sure our self-conscious Earthly boasting will have a terrible effect on this new heavenly family that God's creating. It will ruin it all. Paul, again, Paul's been describing this effect throughout the entire letter, even in just the last couple chapters. I'm going to remind us of some. He said first that the Galatians started to see him as an enemy because he preached the true gospel. There's some relational strife there. That was 4, verse 16. He said they were at risk of biting and devouring one another. That's chapter 5, verse 15. He laid out a number of works in the flesh, which can only describe relational turmoil, including enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Uh, they had become conceited, he said, provoking one another, envying one another. That's chapter 5, verse 26. And they did that because they started to think of themselves as something when they were truly nothing. Uh, and they grew weary of doing good, especially to those of the household of God. That was chapter 6, verse 9. And they were causing some kind of trouble for Paul, probably even active persecution, which he points out here and tells them to stop in verse 17. So, so you can see the kind of family crisis that comes as a result of corrupt boasting. When we boast in anything but the cross of Christ, it makes us hostile really towards the rest of his body. And the opposite is true as well. When we boast in the cross of Christ, uh, when we internalize his finished work on the cross, when we rely on him for the forgiveness of our sins, when we delight in the gospel, it makes us family-oriented. Like Paul, we will pray for peace and mercy to be upon this heavenly household. Uh, we will not grow weary of doing good, especially to our brothers and sisters in the household of God, we will be marked increasingly by the fruit of the Spirit in our churches, which includes love for our brothers and sisters, peace with our brothers and sisters, patience for our kindness 
patience for our brothers and sisters, kindness towards our brothers and sisters, goodness, gentleness with our brothers and sisters, all of which are essential ingredients to any healthy church. Because like Paul, we will not be concerned with, about our image and our status in this world. We've all been crucified to this world. We're being delivered from this world together by the cross of Christ. And so I do want to just give us a bit of a caution here. Uh, these days, it is incredibly common and, and maybe even bordering on popular to just lament the church. It is just such a mess. Everyone is so self-righteous. Everyone is, is so worldly. They don't care about the Bible. They just, they just don't get it. No wonder the world is so skeptical of Christianity. Now, to be sure, we have plenty of valid concerns that can be, can be leveled against the church today, uh, much like in Paul's day, even. The first century, there, there are many people, self-righteous, earthly leaders of the church, even, who do cause all kinds of trouble. I don't mean to dismiss that, but I want you to notice Paul's solution here is not, yeah, let's give up on this whole idea of the heavenly household of God altogether. No. Uh, he, he does not say, yeah, the church thing, that's a fool's errand. Just stay home, listen to the podcast. He doesn't say that. No, he says, let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. He says, do not grow weary of doing good, especially to those of the household of God. He prays for peace and mercy to be upon the Israel of God and for all who walk by the rule of the cross. So listen, local churches, they are complicated. <laughs> they are messy. It's true, and, and frankly, we see it's, it's not new either. It's been that way since the first century, but it is the power of the cross. It is specifically our boasting together in the cross that gives churches like ours an eternal kind of value and significance. A church made up of those who truly boast in Christ is truly a spiritual, heavenly thing. So mature, gospel-centered faith does not minimize or neglect the importance of these churches of Jesus Christ. It also doesn't whitewash or excuse the flaws of these churches either. Instead, it cherishes each true local church for one reason and one reason only. It's that as messy as it may be, Christ purchased that community with his very own blood. I have been so blessed to see this in the life of our church in a, in a kind of neat way even over the last month. Um, we, we, we've really seen uh, pastors from other churches coming and joining us. I don't know, some of you know some of these pastors and you've seen it. To me, it's just been a blessing as a fellow pastor. But this is the kind of mutual love and care I hope to see grow. Uh, three weeks ago, Dan Allen, the pastor of Crossway here in Milwaukee, he's come here and preached. He joined us on sabbatical and just worshiped with us, was able to take the Lord's Supper with us. Such a great blessing to see him. Uh, two weeks ago, Josh Matthews, a pastor from Crossway Church in Bristol, a different Crossway. Some of you have had him as a pastor at Crossway in Bristol. He was here with a group of friends to visit us and, and be encouraged and, and encourage us. Uh, last week, a pastor, Dave Newton, uh, from Gospel Fellowship Church in Sussex came. He, he's part of a, a, a preaching workshop that I'm a part of each year, just came to see what we're doing and encourage us. Uh, this past week even, Carrie and I had our friends uh, Michael and Maggie Morgan over. Michael is an executive pastor at Epicos. He's a longtime friend of ours there. Uh, next week, Greg and I will do a Zoom call with a group of pastors. We're just meeting in India. We're going to support them in trying to do a preaching workshop that they could boast in Christ by doing expository preaching. It's so a church, I just want to say, 
Let's be this kind of church that leans into these types of relationships, even particularly with other churches that boast in Christ with us. Let's not see them as a kind of competition to our brand, so to speak. Let's pray that this kind of love and care for Christ's church would only grow and continue to flourish because it is both the fruit and the evidence, I think, of our boasting in the cross of Christ. Those who boast in his cross will come to love and cherish this spiritual family that the cross has created. And so hopefully by now we've learned this from Galatians. We've learned that this is all about God's crucified son, all of it. Every piece of it, every aspect of it. The true gospel is about God's crucified son, and if we make it about us, we ruin it. The church is about God's crucified son, and if we make it about us, we ruin it. The Spirit of God empowers us to live like God's crucified, resurrected Son. And if we try to do that by the power of our own flesh, we will never be able to do it. None of this is about us and our performance. All of it is about the glorious grace in the cross of Jesus Christ. Only this Father could justify us and make us true heavenly sons in this way. Only he can create this new heavenly family of all nations, and he is doing it through the crucified, resurrected flesh of his son, Jesus Christ, not through our sinful, selfish flesh. So if we want to avoid the many spiritual dangers we've seen in this letter to the Galatians, and church, let's boast in God's crucified son and nothing else. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and we praise you for this word. We thank you for the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. Would we be amazed by the grace and the mercy you've lavished on us, God? And would our concern for ourselves melt in our boasting? Would it drift and fly away? And would we be filled instead with your spirit, which cries out, Abba, Father, as we cling to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ above all else, God. Help us now to boast, to boast with great enthusiasm even as we sing, all glory be to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.